Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Make sure that you have full faith and understanding of every single thing that your lender says they can do and get it in right. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Slocum Reed, and today I'm joined by Senate Eskridge. Senate is joining us from Twin Falls, Idaho. He's a professional multifamily investor and syndicator who enjoys helping people learn how to invest in diversified asset classes. In his current portfolio, he's a general partner in almost 600 doors and a limited partner in around 1,200 doors with some of those limited partner positions also being in his general partnership deals. Senate, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're currently focused on? Sure. I'll give you the short version. I started in single family way back in 2009, somewhere in that range, and did a lot of different things, fix and flips, burrs, buy and hold, moved into small multifamily. And I quickly figured out that I wasn't going to be able to make the kind of income I wanted. I wanted passive income. And what I created for myself was basically another job. So I needed to make some kind of a shift. And in 2020, I decided to move into multifamily. And I started selling all of my single families and moving everything I could into multifamily. To learn and to get as good as I possibly could, I joined a mentorship group and started going to every conference I possibly could, including ones like Best Ever. Great conference, by the way. And later, I actually became a coach with that mentorship group, where I actually now teach people how to buy multifamily and invest. But I quickly also figured out that I was going to run out of my own capital. And so I started now syndicating where I could help other people invest into complexes as well. So that's why I say I'm a professional syndicator, multifamily buyer, and also real estate coach. Nice. Of your syndicated deals where you're in the general partnership, how many have gone full cycle? Still none. Like I said, I didn't start till 2020. So I've got a couple of them that are after the peak of that business cycle, and they'll be going full cycle in the next year to 18 months, as long as the market cooperates. But one of the greatest things about what I've done so far, I've had long-term 
fixed rate debt on everything. So I'm not in a hurry to sell. Gotta wait for the market timing. Let's talk about that long-term fixed rate debt for a moment, because that has not been a popular position to be in until it was too late to get it. Are you primarily a value add investor with your multifamily deals? I am value add primarily. So the answer is it wasn't on purpose, actually. I had two different times that I tried to use a bridge lender and the bridge lender couldn't perform. And instead I went with local credit unions. I am a huge fan of credit union loans. There's so many advantages to them. They're much better for the investor. They're much better to work with. They're much better for me as a partner. They do have pros and cons, but they give me better loan to value. They give me better terms. So better rates. They never have a prepayment penalty and they're very flexible if I need something. I just call up my local lender and ask for this or that and they help me out. Going to local credit unions, what is the property size or the deal size that you're getting your lending from them for? That's one of the cons. They're generally smaller loans, but every credit union has a different legal lending limit. The one that I use currently up to 14 million is their limit. That's one that I use a lot, but there's a couple of others that I'm building relationships with that can go all the way up to 20 million. There's also a company that will help you pool multiple credit unions together where you can go over that 20 million mark, but I've never used them, but they are out there. So how big are the loans that you're getting where you're getting these terms? My average loan size is somewhere between eight and 9 million right now. Average loan size, eight and 9 million. So what size property is it that you target and that you currently have in the portfolio? What markets are these in? Different markets have got a little bit of different size. I do some deals in Idaho where I live. Some of the deals are harder and harder to find in Idaho, but when I find a great deal, I still buy it. My average in Idaho is around 30 units, but I also buy in Oklahoma. Around 100 units in Oklahoma is what I target. Also in Texas, inside the Texas Triangle. And we're probably around 10 million in Texas, 75 to 100 doors, somewhere in that range. What is it that it attracted you to those markets? Well, Idaho, because I live here, I can drive of right course. down the road of and course. touch it. But I like to diversify. And in Texas, I believe that this is one of the fastest growing and most stable markets across the country. And it's going to continue to grow because it's very attractive to businesses. It's very attractive to residents. People are moving to there, not away from there. And then Oklahoma, I like all sorts of those Midwestern states for more cash flow. They have a higher cash flow on a month-to-month -month basis, a little bit lower on the appreciation maybe, but they help us pay the bills today. That makes a lot of sense. Of your 595 doors, how many properties is that? 12 properties. Gotcha. And is that then 12 different syndications you've done since 2020? Yes. Within your general partnership portfolio, Senate, and I'm talking about the current portfolio, not your acquisitions activity. How is it that you all are experiencing the changes in the market in 2023? Well, the changes that we're going through are definitely different. Our underwriting is completely different and how we're underwriting things are completely different. Like everyone else, we're seeing higher interest rates. And because of that, we've got to be a lot more aggressive with our price. 
And one of the things that I'm really- so that, I'm talking about the portfolio that you have currently, the 600 doors under management. How is it that you're seeing that the operation of your current portfolio, are you seeing any changes between now and when you acquired two and three years ago? For example, first of all, kudos to you for the fixed rate debt. We don't have to talk about what's happening to your interest rates. So that's awesome. But utility costs- are highly volatile right now. Is that something that you are feeling with your current portfolio? And are there any other things happening nowadays that you are experiencing have an impact on your portfolio, whether positive or negative to the bottom line? Thanks for clarifying that. So there's a couple of things. You mentioned interest rates. We had a couple of properties that we were planning to do refinances for. So we returned some cash to investors. So we've obviously tabled that. There's no sense in going from a rate of, say, four or five to seven. That just doesn't make any sense. So a lot of those things are on hold. As far as issues and things that we're facing, one of the biggest things was the rents grew a lot faster than we originally anticipated in several markets. So for a lot of time, we were having a hard time finding the ceiling. And now, over the last several months, that's starting to taper off. In fact, I would say a couple of our properties even, the rents are above market. So we're trying to feel that out where we want to naturally bring that back down to be right at the top of the market. Because you don't ever want to be too far above because then you don't ever get anything rented out. Vacancy increases, you get frustrated. You have angry conversations with your property manager. I am the property manager, so I'm familiar. Yeah, exactly. So that was one of the biggest things was the rent escalation really fast. Another thing that we're seeing in some markets is the volatility of insurance costs. And when we go to do the insurance renewals, even when we don't have claims or any of those types of issues, that when they're coming back and giving us that renewal cost, they're significantly higher than planned. Luckily, that's been offset by that rent increase we just talked about. But there's been cost escalations all over the place. And they're balancing out. Luckily for us, we're very conservative with our cash positions. We always make sure we have enough cash to weather virtually any storm. And we're also very conservative with our loan to values so that our break-even occupancy is really low. So they're high-performing properties. So those are not really issues. As far as on the good side, I truly do believe that when we complete our business plan this time next year, I think the rates are going to start coming back down. That's my crystal ball. About the time the election season starts, I think we're going to start seeing some rates come back down. And that'll be right about the time we're going to be exiting some properties. That'll be a really good time for us. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has never missed a preferred payment never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors 
targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital.thebamcompanies.com. Are you a real estate investor looking to break into the multifamily investing space? Have you heard of MFIN Con happening in Charlotte, North Carolina, June 12th through the 14th? The Multifamily Investor Nation Convention is a place to learn from over 60 high-level apartment investors while networking with more than 700 additional investors. If that's not enough for you, A-Rod, yep, Alex Rodriguez, 12-time Major League Baseball All-Star with over $700 million of commercial real estate assets, will be live and in person speaking at the event. Also speaking is the one and only Dr. Robert Cialdini, the godfather of influence and the award-winning author. I personally love his books. So be sure to secure your tickets to this live in-person event before they're gone. Go to MFINCon.com for more details. Sponsorship opportunities are also available. Visit MFINCON.com today. Use the promo code BESTEVER to get $200 off your tickets. That's MFINCON.com. Send it back to the expenses that you've seen or the costs that you've seen increase dramatically with the 12 properties in the portfolio where is it that you have seen the cost of insurance increase the most and where is it the least it's interesting so in idaho it's very little the insurance increase it's been almost non-existent that insurance is state level in Texas, though, we're seeing a lot of increases coming across the board, especially on the coastal cities in Texas. That's the answer that I really expected, that I think all of our listeners expected as well. I still wanted to ask, though, what other expenses have you seen increase? I mentioned utilities. Is that someplace where you're seeing costs rise? Labor, anywhere else? Yes, both of those things. Utilities have gone up. Labor has gone up. But the biggest surprise for me across the board, across the entire portfolio, is the rehab expenses just in general. So the flooring has almost doubled in price, I feel like, over the last couple of years. And with that, the labor, it's not so much the labor cost necessarily, like per hour. It's what you have to pay to get somebody just to show up. It's very difficult to even find labor to come and do these tasks. And it's an interesting concept to me because I don't understand where all the workers are. You have people that complain about not having any jobs, but then it's hard to find the workers. That would be one of the biggest challenges that we faced in that regard. Both the material expense and the labor expense and the availability of labor in general. I definitely resonate with those things as well. Cost of renovation being the most surprising, cost of insurance. Just a couple more questions on this line. Timing-wise, how have the revenue and expenses of your property increased in correlation to one another? Were you experiencing significant rent increases and then the expenses went up? Was it the expenses first? The rents went up first and the expenses have been lagging behind. And the part of the reason for that is we've got very good professional managers that really keep attuned to that maximum rent that we can charge. And when I say maximum rent, I also mean maximum income revenue in general. So they monitor things like utility bill back, and they're always looking for things to increase the income, such as internet packages and 
concierge services like valet trash, those types of things. We're always looking for ways to maximize the revenue of each property. And as I mentioned in the earlier parts of this conversation, we pushed those rents so hard to make sure that we we're at the top of that market. And now those have peaked out. So they're starting to level across the portfolio. And now those costs are starting to rise and catch up with that. So there were some pretty good months in there where the rents were going up before the expenses. It sounds like you guys put some of that money in the bank to sit there for the volatility we're experiencing now. On that point, actually, Senate, within your general partnerships, do you co-GP? How big is your team and what are your primary responsibilities? My primary responsibilities are inside the contract to close portion. So once someone has found a deal and then I take it all the way to the close, setting up all the legal aspects of a deal, things such as PPM, the portals, the PSAs, all the legal structure, how to set everything up so that the investors have the best possible relationship or experience through the relationship. That's one of my key components. And then after that would be investor relations. I really focus on making sure that my investors have a great experience. I want to make sure that they feel like they're being treated with a white glove. So those are my two specialties. As I said, contract to close and then the investor relations. Some people also call that a capital raiser. That's one of the jobs of an investor relations person is to help people invest into a deal. And then as far as the team goes, I actually work with different teams in different areas of the country. And I do that on purpose because you've got to make sure that you've got really good, solid boots on the ground that can run the operations on a day-to-day -day basis. And I worked really hard on developing those teams. So who I work with in Idaho might be a little bit different than who I work with in Oklahoma, for example. On that investor relations topic, Senate, how is it that you are communicating with your investors right now? What's the platform? What's the frequency of your communication right now? Considering all of the variables that we're experiencing change in the moment. I focus really hard on leveraging really awesome tools to make sure that I'm staying in touch with all of my investors. My favorite portal is Cashflow Portal. This is the tool that helps me help the investors put all of their money into every deal. It's got a great program for helping my investors get there, like a landing page where somebody can go in and invest. It also has built-in signature programs so that when they're filling out the PPM or the legal documents, maybe it's a better way to say that, for each individual deal, it helps them all the way through that process. And then that is the same tool that I use for follow-up communications going forward where I can send investor updates on a monthly basis. And I do think that that's the best frequency is at least one time a month where you're sending out what's happening on their property with their investment. And then finally, something that you didn't ask, but that's also the portal that I used for distributions. When I go to give somebody money, I also do that through that same portal. And my frequency on that I prefer is quarterly. I think it's a lot better to do everything on a quarterly basis as far as distributions go. Quarterly distributions, that makes sense. And again, your frequency on communications with your LPs? Monthly. Monthly. Gotcha. Monthly communication and quarterly distribution. That makes a lot of sense. 
Senator, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Yes, let's do it. What is the best ever book that you recently read? The best ever book I've recently read is called The Power of One More by Ed Milet. This is a very actionable book. Unlike a lot of other books that are very high level and don't give you a lot of actual meat and nuggets that you can go use, this thing is chock full of actionable things inside every single chapter that you can use to change your life. So The Power of One More by Ed Milet. Senate, my last interview also recommended The Power of One More by Ed Milet. And I read it recently, love it, and now I listen to his podcast. What is your best ever way to give back? I give back through an organization called The Shriners. I'm a Mason and a Shriner, and we really focus on the Shrine Hospital for children. They help kids with burns and orthopedic limbs, those types of things. I love the ability to give back to the kids through the Shriners organization. Senate, thus far in your syndication experience, what is the biggest mistake you've made and the best ever lesson that resulted from it? Well, the biggest mistake I made was actually using a bridge lender, which is the reason I switched to credit unions. So let me tell you just a quick story behind it. We were using a bridge lender that was giving us unrealistic terms that just made the deal absolutely amazing. And they really sold us through the loan application process that they were going to be able to do all these fantastic things. They gave us things that probably we should have been red flags that we said, that's too good to be true. And we got to the very end and they said, oh, I'm sorry, we actually can't do all of these different things. So the mistake was believing a bridge lender when they gave us unrealistic terms. And the best advice I would have to say with that is make sure that you have full faith and understanding of every single thing that your lender says they can do and get it in writing. On that note, that being the lesson you learned from the mistake, what is your best ever advice? Look into local credit unions for commercial loans. Last question, where can people get in touch with you? The best place to find me is on my website. It's senateescridge.com. All of my social links are there. I am on all the social media platforms, but on senateescridge.com, you can connect with me in all the different ways. You can even go on that site and find my free Investor 101 course. Those links are in the show notes. Senate, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you've gained value from this episode, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend you know we can add value to through our conversation today. Thank you and have a best ever day. Thanks for having me, Slocum. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so... Join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.